Well, tonight, we're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount, which we started six months ago. You can tell how much meat's in it by the amount of time it takes us to get through it. And so we now come to the 21st verse here of Matthew chapter 7. The final words of Jesus as he speaks to this multitude that was gathered with him there on the Mount of the Beatitudes. They're overlooking the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're looking out across, really just down uh, to the cove of the Sower. We'll be transitioning from this series We're going to stay in simply the Savior, and we're going to move to the parable. So we're just going to go down to the sea, down to where Jesus taught many of these messages that we call the parables. But tonight we finish with perhaps one of the hardest things that Jesus had to say in this sermon. So I want to encourage you, hang tight, stay with us. Because this is a difficult passage of Scripture, but it's difficult for a gracious reason because the Lord chastens those whom he loves and if he doesn't correct us if he doesn't move us if he allows us to to wander in sin if he were to not correct our missteps if he didn't give us the truth in the face of falsehood then you could actually say Does he really love us? The Lord loves us. And so tonight, the final of these series of twos and two houses, the emptiness of of man's religion, man's attempt to reach God. You see, religion, to me, is almost a epithet. When someone asks me if I'm religious, I will tell them point blank no, because I'm not religious. Religious in the sense that really we can understand it best is man's attempt by his own works to reach God. That's religion. It's man's organization, man's structure, man attempting to, to become, if you will, divine by doing certain things, certain ways, understanding certain concepts and principles. And if you could point a finger at a single thing that's kept more people from really seeing the true and the living God, I would say to you that it is in fact religion that's done that. Many of those religions patently false. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. There are certain world religions that you could look at and say, well, that doesn't lead to Christ. And if there's only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved, then it's by its own definition a false religion. And so that religion, which says if you follow these guidelines, you do these structures, you you worship this certain way, that somehow that will bring you into a right relationship with God is actually what's in view as Jesus now finishes the Sermon on the Mount. This is the end of his invitation. And because it's the end of the invitation, it's his final words on the subject which he began with those two gates, those two Roads, those two ways, those two destinations and two kinds of fruit, two different kinds of trees, two different kinds of people. And now he comes to two different kinds of builders, wise builder and an unwise builder, two different views of God's word, his holiness, those who do what God asks and those who don't do what God asks. As we begin tonight, I want to just lay right out in front. There is a doctrine 
in our world known as antinomianism. And that simply means anti-against, nomos knowledge or law. It means against the law. And those who believe that God has no quality, no characteristics, that he no longer requires anything of us, that the only thing that's left out of all of God's dealing with mankind is that we simply be loving, to them I direct this passage. Because God is still a holy God. He is absolutely loving, but he absolutely is holy. His character has not ever changed. He does not accept tonight what he did not accept at Sodom and Gomorrah. He does not accept tonight because we're in a much different cultural standpoint and setting the the drunkenness that he condemned 2,000 years ago. God's moral character has never changed. And so those things which direct us in our living, those words spoken to us that direct us in how we ought to live our lives still remain. That is how we're to live. That's why he started with a narrow gate and a narrow path and a narrow way. Because it isn't that everything's okay. It's narrow, the way that leads to godliness. It's not of our own making. We, we don't get to be the type of people that we want to be. We're supposed to be the type of people he has asked us to be. Our lives should be different. When grace affects us and brings to us salvation, that same saving grace becomes keeping grace and sanctifying grace and maturing grace and changing grace that transforms our lives and sin-removing grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, God's grace, though free, is the richest substance that we'll ever have applied to our lives. It's rich in that it's the character of God. And so his grace is holy. And for those who say that, ah, I said the sinner's prayer, I can do what I want. I simply ask you to look at this passage. Let's pray. Father, tonight we again so grateful for your word. God, it is so powerful. And it corrects us, it challenges us, it ministers to us. Lord, we want to be ready. God, we do want to work it out. We want to be ready to go in the game. And you require diligence of your players on your team. Lord, you require us to to do things your way. Or we don't have to be perfect at it, that's for sure. But you do ask us to aim at perfection. That should be our goal. And so God, we pray that you would now move in this place by your spirit and cause us to take in your word, to understand it, and then live it out. We bless you, we praise you, we honor you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Verse 21 here in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Please underline that. Not everyone who says to me, Master, Lord God. Not everyone who even makes a profession that Jesus is Lord. Because there are people who will even call Jesus Lord, Lord, who are not saved. And he goes on to give us this picture. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
And before you lose heart, before you think that grace is impossible, somehow becomes a work, you're not saying you're saved by works. But he is definitely saying, if you are saved, then God's grace will work in your life. And you will be changed and transformed and renewed. You will be released from bondage. Albeit not perfectly. Doesn't mean that you won't ever have a thought that you shouldn't have. Doesn't mean that you won't ever do something that you shouldn't do. Doesn't mean that you'll be sinlessly perfect either. But it does mean that the child of God cares about the character of God in his life. But not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. It's a pretty plain statement. And it means exactly what it sounds like it means. That if we're truly God's kids, we care about being godly. Having the character of God, the nature of God, the holiness of God, the fear of God, combined with the love of God and the grace of God and the faith of God. You can't pull apart who you are in Christ and take out the pieces that you don't think you want to keep. If we are a child of God, if we are in his kingdom, then we do God's things God's way. Many will say to me in that day, and now he looks forward to the time that I believe uh, will be during the, the great tribulation, possibly even at the great white throne judgment. But in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And I want you to notice what's really being said here. There are people who make false professions. They are so deceived that they think they can divest the character of God from the things that God would say. So if you just speak in nice platitudes, if you merely utter a few words that sound Christianese, that somehow that means you're a child of God. Scripture says otherwise. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, Done many wonders in your name. Don't forget who's speaking here. This is Jesus. God incarnate. God wrapped in human flesh on this earth. And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. I never had intimacy with you. The word knew there, translated, it actually is used very frequently for sexual relations. I never was so intimate as to bring you into my bedroom. To be so close as to call you my spouse. We are the bride of Christ, amen? That's the picture. I never knew you. You wouldn't stay home. You were busy shaming me. I never knew you. Depart from me. And then he defines why. You who constantly, repeatedly, unrepentantly practice lawlessness. You see, there's a huge difference between practicing sin and stumbling. Between practicing sin... And, and having a couple of issues between practicing sin and every once in a while doing the wrong thing, between practicing sin and occasionally having a really bad spiritual day. One who practices lawlessness, one who goes, notice this, lawlessness, anti-nomos. Against the law. The one who practices living their life in such a way that it's against the character and the nature of what God declared about himself and who he is. 
Someone who says, eh, it's okay to be a drunkard. It's fine to indiscriminately sleep around. It's okay if I'm gay. God doesn't care about anything like that. He only cares that I uttered the words, Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, what's in here governs what happens here. What you believe in your heart ought to change the way you live your life. And if it doesn't, Jesus is saying, you better check and see what kind of house you built. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Do you see the correlation? The person who hears the word of the Lord and then actually does something with it. And again, please understand what he's saying. He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's saying that your goals are in line with God's plans for your life. That you think about what God thinks. You, you want to live your life in such a way that you could honestly say, I'm really attempting to live out my faith in a way that honors the Lord. Not that I've merely said something so I can escape eternal damnation and then I live my life as I please. Brothers and sisters, that type of faith can't save you. If you think somehow that merely uttering a sentence or two is going to save you, you are radically wrong. That sentence or two is to be a declaration of what's happened in your heart. You have to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in believing, you are going to be transformed. Your life is not going to be the same ever again. That's why Jesus said, narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way. And few there are who find it. Now, am I trying to scare you? Absolutely not. I'm simply saying that what Jesus has said still applies. And what he said was, you you need to do some introspection every once in a while. You need to check your own heart. Find out what's hanging on your own tree. Look at your own life. Because when you get comfortable with sin, you're in a very dangerous place. You need to be very worried about unrepentant sin in your own life. And so he goes on. Whoever hears these words, these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. We all know who the rock is, amen? And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Notice who that is. The one who builds on the rock. The one who cares about the foundation. The one who does these sayings of mine. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. We've seen a few of those fall into the ocean this last week. Amen? Not horribly wise, the shifting sands, the tide uh, of situational ethics, graduated morals, existentialism, political correctness, tolerance. Family of God, that's sand. That is sand. Do you know that Jesus is the most intolerant person that ever walked the face of the earth? He just said so. It says, he who does these sayings of mine. That's pretty intolerant because he just got through saying, you need to be merciful if you want mercy. You need to be forgiving if you want forgiveness. You understand what I'm saying? That's what Jesus said. He laid out a very narrow road. 
a very intolerant road. Intolerant to us willingly transgressing what he said. Emphasis on willingly. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was it fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. And I want you to notice something here. No altar call, no massive report of everyone in the crowd going, I want to come to Jesus right now. They were simply astonished. They'd never heard anyone teach like this. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Where's Jesus going as he ends his sermon? You see, your house, my house, our homes, our spiritual homes, our spiritual lives are supposed to be built on the rock. And in order for it to be built on the rock, we have to follow the plans of the master builder. We need to make sure that we're living our lives in a way that's pleasing to him. And I want to be real careful because you can also spin off from from here to legalism and say now everything becomes about what you do do. It's not about what you do do and it's not so much about what you don't do. It's about why you do what you do do. You see, I do what I do because I want to be pleasing to the Lord. It's why I do it. Now, I may be imperfect at that. I may stumble, I may trip, I may bang a knee, I may bust my knuckles, I may smack my nose on the wall of life, but I want to do what God wants me to do. On the other side, you have the person who wants to look like they're doing things that makes them seem holy And yet their motivation is very wrong because they're trying to see how far away they can get from the Lord. In other words, they do what they do because they do, do, do. Not good stuff. They're they're away from the Lord. Their, Their life is not good. And they're perfectly content in it. They're trying to see how far they can get from the Lord. So on one hand, how close can I get to the Lord? On the other hand, how far can I get from the Lord? And that's the picture. The person who says, I'd like to live my life as much as I can without God's influence in it is in grave trouble. Because here's what disappears in your life. Single word begins with A, assurance. Because the closer you walk to the Lord, the more you try and implement what he has said, the more sure you are that he's working in your life. And so you have assurance. But the further you get from the Lord, the more you walk in the world, the less assurance you have. Because you can't point to a single thing in your life that's like Jesus. And I have Christians that come to me, suppose it, all the time. Well, you know, I just think I can do this. And I will ask them why. And they'll say, well, because, you know, God hasn't killed me yet. Seriously, people tell me things like this. Well, why do you think it's okay? Well, you know, it's the, it's, it, my aunt told me it was all right. I mean, she got a divorce and she's okay. But doesn't God's word say that he hates divorce? Well, yeah, but he never met my wife. Well, he created your wife. Well, that's not the same. No, it's better. We get into mental gymnastics about what the Lord accepts and what he doesn't accept. When he makes plain statements, he actually means that. When he makes plain statements, that's exactly what he means. He's not being vague. 
He's not trying to give you something. Wow, i got to think that one through. No, you're not supposed to be an idolater. That's exactly what it means. You're not supposed to be a fornicator. That's exactly what it means. You're not supposed to be a drunkard. That is exactly what it means. You're not supposed to get mixed up in sorcery. That's exactly what it means. You are supposed to be kind. That's exactly what it means. You are supposed to be forgiving. Exactly what it means. Merciful. Exactly what it means. Gentle. Exactly what it means. God's not being vague. And so when we know how we're supposed to live and we say, well, I'm not going to do that. That is a dangerous place. That's what Jesus is talking about. You don't get to make up your own rules. You live by his. It's a matter of your building, what it looks like, how it's built. And it really does matter. In this last piece, Jesus is now addressing false religion, false pretense. He said that few enter the narrow gate. Why is that? You see, I think you have to search for, you have to be a seeker. You have to actually want to have a relationship with God. When someone says, well, I just don't want to go to hell, that's not the same. That is not the same as wanting to have a relationship with God. Most of us in here probably don't want to get cancer. That's not the same as living your life in such a way as you won't get cancer. Do you understand the difference? You see, most of us don't want what cancer would do to us. But are you going to live in such a way so that you don't get cancer? That's the picture. Are you going to live your life in such a way that God's actually pleased with it? Then he looks at it and says, yeah, you know what? Jesus is Lord. Why is it the case that few enter? Number one, nobody stumbles into the kingdom. It's a choice. You're you're not going to, nobody's going to, wow, I really didn't want to go to heaven, but I got here anyway. The same is true for hell. Well, you know, I was hoping, you know, because all my friends were in hell, I'd be able to go to hell. But I I gave my life to Jesus and I lived that way. No, you're going to heaven. You chose. You don't stumble in. Second reason, the narrow, demanding way is in view. It's the opposite of the way of the world. Amen? It's the opposite of the way of the world. So if you're walking in the ways of the world, you're walking the way of the world. That's not God's way. That should bother us as Christians. The narrow gate requires that you take off all the baggage, the junk, the garbage. You can't take your garbage into heaven. It can't go. You've got to let it go. You should want to do that anyway. But a lot of people want to carry their baggage. You want to carry their bitterness, their hate, their anger, their vanity, their dislike, their distrust. They want to carry all that stuff. That's not the mark of a child of God. A fourth thing. If you're going to be on that narrow way and go through that narrow gate, it requires repentance. Requires brokenness. When you no longer hate your sin and, and get to that place, and there are people who profess to be Christians who don't hate their sin. They're not repentant in the slightest. That's a dangerous place to be. When you keep making excuses for it, you need to check and see whether you're of the faith or not. It ought to worry you. A fifth thing, the reason this deception gets so deep, because there are false prophets, there are pastors who stand in pulpits and tell their flock that, well, there's just some, you know, three words you need to say, and you're going to heaven. Now, it is a profession of faith, 
It causes us to receive God's grace. But once God's grace has come to us, it starts working in us. All of a sudden, the things that you, you, those things you used to do without even thinking about it, you're like, man, I can't live like that anymore. That's actually the work of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin and also of righteousness. Not only what's wrong, but what is right, what's supposed to be going on in our lives. And so Jesus says you need to be careful. A sixth thing, and really the, the big one, is, is self. I think it's just self-deception. And there's really two categories of that. There's those people who verbally profess that they have some kind of relationship with God, and you've heard them. There's a whole bunch of politicians right now saying they're Christians. Amen? But is there a single thing in their life that would mark them as being a believer in Jesus Christ? That's why we just got through saying, check the fruit. Because when you look at the fruit, the fruit's bad. And if the fruit's bad, you're supposed to go, I wonder what kind of tree I am. You see, it's not that you're saved by works, but if you are saved, your works ought to look different than the works of the devil. You ought to to talk differently, walk differently, act differently, think differently. You ought to have a love for the things that God loves, and you need to have a hate for the things that God hates. And again, not in perfection, but in a sense, instead of going that way, you go this way. We used to be going that way towards the world. We're now going this way towards the Lord. And so every moment of our days that we have left on this earth, from the time you get saved, the time you go home to be with Jesus, there ought to be at least some form of improvement in being a little more Christ-like. We call that maturity. We call that sanctification. I'm becoming a little bit more like God, a little more like Jesus. A second hindrance that I think waylays so many people intellectual knowledge i know people that can quote you chapter and verse all day long from the bible they can quote the great doctrines of the faith and there's not one smidgen of evidence that they actually love the lord it's completely intellectual and you'll find them by the droves in seminaries Matter of fact, people that go to seminary specifically so they can get a shingle, so they can get a job. Has nothing to do with the relationship. Looks like a good profession. I actually met a lady who went to a seminary, Presbyterian seminary. She was ordained as a pastor and she was talking to me about all the perks and benefits. And she says, you know, I actually went, I was going to go into pre-law, but I thought I could make more money as a pastor. That's exactly word for word what she said. That's why she went to seminary. I could make more money as a pastor. I asked her about her relationship with Jesus. Well, you know, I'm this and I, I, I you know, I kind of am a little bit of a reformer, but not really. And we went down all kinds of intellectual roads. Not She didn't even believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. Believed that the Holy Spirit was only alive during the time of the apostles. That's intellectual knowledge. You see, you can quote chapter and verse. But you might be on the broad way. What lulls people... I think chief among them is a false sense of the doctrine of assurance. Let me square everybody away right now. If you're in here and you've made a public profession of faith, you're going to heaven. Amen? But because that's true, is there anyone in here who's made a public profession of faith that your life has never changed? Notice there's no hands up. You're all good. Take a deep breath. I told you this is a difficult passage. That's the point. The point is something did change. How many many used to be alcoholics in here? Raise your hands. It's okay, raise your hands. How many many drug addicts? How many people in multiple relationships that you're not very proud of? Yeah, you, you see what I'm getting at? Redeemed of the Lord. Something happened. You got transformed. You're good. Don't be freaking out. 
How many people couldn't link together three words without an explicative? Raise your hand. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) Sailor speech was your language. Why do sailors get blamed for that? Why couldn't it be, you know, some other... You see what the Lord's really saying to us is, if you're one of his kids... You you get a DNA transplant. Now all of a sudden you have the DNA of Christ. And you start popping out organs that are like Jesus. You've got a conscience. You've got guiding principles that come from the word. And your life begins to look very radically different. You see that quick and easy assurance. It's just a couple of words that you say and nothing happens. You need to be very leery of that. There's an old saying, if nothing happened, nothing happened. You guys are a little slow tonight. <laughs> if nothing happened, nothing happened, you know? It's like so a guy came to me one time, he's going, Well, I just don't know, you know, I I I you know, I said the sinner's prayer, but nothing happened. And I said, Nothing happened. It didn't take. You didn't mean it with your heart. Nothing happened. You need to be concerned about that. If you went right back to the way you were and nothing changed, you've got to wonder it wasn't real. God allows you to feel those things for a reason. It's supposed to bother you. Now here's the good news. The fact that you even care is proof that you're a child of God. Because you care, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I care about how I live my life. I want to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. I think a second failure, as Paul wrote to the church at Corinth there in 2 Corinthians 13, test yourself to see if you were of the faith. A little self-examination is a good thing. You see, we live in a world where we don't want to examine anybody too closely. Well, you better examine yourself. If you don't examine anybody else, if you're not checking fruit, check your own fruit. You need to look and see what kind of fruit's coming off your tree. You may only have one apple. That's still a sign you're a child of God. But if you're fruitless, you need to make it sure that you're actually in God's kingdom. Ask the Lord to reveal those things in your life. Do some self-examination. John actually goes so far in John chapter 1 to remind us that that we're not going to be sinless. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't in us. But if we confess our sins, remember there in 1 John 1, he's faithful and just to forgive. In other words, one of the things that helps us know that we're one of God's kids is that we actually recognize that we're sinners and we need to be forgiven. When you have people, well, I don't sin anymore. I've actually had, especially young people, for some reason like to tell me that. Well, I haven't sinned in three weeks. I go, yes, you have. You just did. You're a prideful liar. Of course we sin. But we care. I don't like it. When it happens, I'm like, oh, does anybody else grit their teeth when you do something dumb? Just like, I could have had a V8, one of those things. You're supposed to care. A person who isn't concerned about having your present sins cleansed so that you can have a right relationship with God is in a bad place. I want to get to that place to where I'm, I'm, I'm like in that place to where I start to even think that I'm going to do something and I'm repenting before I actually do it. I want to get there. Like when you, maybe you're going to have some thought that shouldn't dart through your mind and you're already like, Lord, I I repent of even thinking that I might think that way. That's the right place to be. And so the Lord Jesus really just elaborates. The Apostle Paul would write much the same thing, by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Ephesians chapter 5. There in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? 
It's a very plain statement. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be sinlessly perfect. You've given your life to Christ. It doesn't mean you'll never sin again. But it does mean that you are redeemed. That That you have given your life to Christ. And now you're endeavoring to live your life in such a way that is pleasing to God. You care about whether you sin or not. You can't be looking at you know the Lord and going, well, you know, I just you know I'm I'm changing my Bible is a new Bible, and I've I've taken all the references to any type of hateful speech out of there. I'm now allowed to be mean spirited and bitter. I can be as hateful as I want, as violent as I feel like. You know, this world is a mess. You know, I ought to be able to crack some heads. We'll call it the Head Crackers Bible. And you just take all those out. God's not down. He, he's not playing. It's not going to be okay. He's going to look at you and go, you know, Jeff, what were you thinking? It's supposed to bother you that you have a temper. It's supposed to bother you that there's bitterness that's deep-seated in your life. It's supposed to bother, bother you that you will not forgive people. It's supposed to absolutely bother you that you walk around in unforgiveness. You're not supposed to be okay with it. So when someone comes and says, well, I, I'm not going to forgive, you need to challenge them and say, you need to check and see whether you're actually a child of God. Because God's word directly says, if you do not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you and you will be turned over to the torturer. So if you don't care to forgive, you've got a problem. Does it necessarily mean that you don't know the Lord? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that you're walking an awful fine line that I don't think you really want to walk. You need to be concerned about those things. You see, because when you yield to God's word, when you build on the rock, all that junk's going to go. You're going to go, man, I can't hang on to that because God's word says so. Each of us can learn something from this admittedly a somber warning. It, It is that. I think there are things that we allow into our lives that put us in harm's way. Uh, inordinate concentration, if you will, on religious activity is one of them. I know people that try and cover up the fact that they will not yield to what God's word says by just simply being religious. You'll find them serving in church. You'll find them doing all kinds of looks like godly things, but it's actually a smoke screen. There's really no evidence that God's at work in their life. They just simply want to be seen doing godly things so that no one will think that they're an unbeliever. Very dangerous. We every once in a while end up with those in the church. They very often are, are people about whom we could say uh, they have some serious moral issues. Child molesters. Very often want to work in children's ministry. Oh, well, I just love kids. Uh, That's actually not why you're here. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing. And we can see it from a mile away because the whole rest of everything else, it ought to be changed. Not a bit of it's changed. God sees those things. I think another cause is sometimes people just, they, they almost have a, an Islamic view of God's approval of things. If we just do more good things than we do bad things, that somehow that equates to having a right relationship with God. That's absurd, because there's no amount of good things that can actually save you. Amen? There's no, no amount of good things can save you. So no amount of bad things can necessarily damn you. It, it's a matter of, have you given all your things to God? He said, look, Lord, everything I am, I want to put off the old, want to put on the new. I want to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. My old things are passing away. They're not passing quite as fast as I'd like them to, but they are passing away. It's not a matter of having a few more good ones than bad ones. It's not quid 
pro quo. It's not a tit for tat thing. It's not a balancing approach. It's like, I hate sin. I hate sin. I hate it when I sin. Every Christian ought to be able to say with a loud voice, I hate my sin. If you can't say that, you need to check and see. Check yourself out. Do a little introspection. It's a good thing every once in a while. Just make sure you know this. It's not a certain amount of sin that's acceptable to God. Everybody knows that, right? There's zero sin that's acceptable to God. It all has to be forgiven. Otherwise, you don't get to go on the narrow way. Now, praise God, every last one of them is forgiven by God's grace. Amen? They're all available for God to fix by his grace. And he will do exactly that. All we got to do is confess them. Covered by the blood. Right relationship with the Lord. So there's no amount of sin that's okay with God. So when somebody tells you that they happen to have a particular type of sin that scripture says is absolutely not okay and they are okay with it, guess where that puts them? By their own admission, outside of God's kingdom. That's harsh, isn't it? That's, that's narrow, isn't it? Is that narrow to anybody in here? It should be narrow to you because it's narrow. So when somebody says, you know what? I got no problem with being a drunk. I have absolutely no problem with engaging in homosexuality. I have no problem being a fornicator. I have no problem being a lying, cheating thief. I'm perfectly okay with it. God made me this way. You can look right at him and say, God didn't make you that way because he said that's something he hates. That's something you're supposed to not be. And if you are that and don't hate it like he hates it, there's a big problem in your life. Not because Jeff says so, because God's word says so. This is what defines what God accepts and what he does not. We don't get to change it because we don't like what it says. I would love that it says, well, forgive. I would have been with Peter seven times. There's probably a lot of you that are going, yeah, I like that one too. Let's stick with Peter's idea. Seven times. After the seventh time, punch their lights out. Especially repetitive sin that affects kids. I'm of the uh, opinion that after seven times, if it's a child, you see how we could get? I was a camp director. When I see kids hurt, you're in a bad place with Pastor Jeff. I'm a whole lot less gracious with that than I am with a few other things. But nonetheless, God is gracious. He's merciful. He's kind. He's gentle. He's loving. And as long as you're repentant, he's going to forgive you. But if you're not repentant, look out. You're building on sand. That easy believism that's so prominent in our world is just the the mass of worthless words. That's why Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. That's a very plain statement. There are going to be people that are going to, well, I, I said the sinner's prayer. I went forward at a Billy Graham crusade. But you were never transformed. You never allowed God to take over mastery of your life. You would not let Jesus Christ be Lord. Oh, you said with your mouth. You even did some things that kind of looked like you were going that way, but it was never real. Don't let that be you. And don't let people convince you otherwise. When you're talking to people, you need to make sure that they understand if you're really one of God's kids, then you're not going to be what you used to be. You're, you're going to be transformed. Not all, the, all at once, 
And you're probably going to be a work in progress. I know I am. And praise God that he does works in progress. Amen? We are all design built from that perspective. God knows what we're supposed to be. We're not quite there yet, but he's working on every last one of us. As long as he's working, we're in good shape. You see, as these people cried out, you know, look, I said, Lord, Lord. He's going to say, I I don't know you. We weren't ever in an intimate relationship. You, you, You wouldn't stop playing around with the world. You never gave it up. You love the world more than you love me. You you remember that's exactly why Jesus said people wouldn't come to the light in the first place because they loved the darkness. So Jesus ends this sermon on on a tough passage, but he does it, I believe, for a reason. It's not to bum us out. It's not to make us wander around questioning absolutely everything in our life or, you know, wondering constantly whether we're saved. That's not his point at all. But he is saying, look, if you're really one of my kids, then your relationship with Jesus is going to be so huge in your life that there is nothing in this world that you will sacrifice for it. No thing will overcome you so much so that you will say, well, that doesn't matter. I, I don't, if I have to give that up, if I can't keep that, then I don't want to be a Christian. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why the rich young ruler was in a mess. Well, I'll follow you as long as I don't have to give up my money. That's also why the story of the woman at the well is so precious. Because she really didn't have anything to give, but she gave up everything. Jesus simply said, go and send no more. And that's exactly what she did. She believed by faith and her life was changed. You see, the platitudes may fool people at church, but they won't feel, they won't cause the God in heaven to not know what's going on in your life. Not going to fool him. It's one thing to struggle, it's another thing to tell God that he's wrong about your particular type of sin that you believe is okay. You can do anything you want, but if you're really one of God's kids, you're going to do what he wants most of the time. And when you don't do what he wants, it's going to bother you. It's going to bother you. It's the easiest way for you to understand it. If there's a little prick in your heart, you know when you do things, I think probably most of us in here know exactly what I'm saying. You know when you say something, you ever ever been engaged in a conversation, you know that you've been short You've been mean-spirited. Maybe you said it was a dart, and you knew it when you shot those words out of your mouth. None of you would do that, I know, but every once in a while, I can use some words, and I know that they're going to cut a little deeper than they're supposed to. And they don't even make it out of my mouth, and I'm repenting before the last word actually finishes. This It's like, oh. And God just busts me on it, Happens very frequently with my own sons, you know, because us dads, we want to, you know, teach our young men to be men. And so one of the ways we do that is beat them to a pulp with, you know, like, son, if you were really a man, you know, you'd do this. And you change your tone and everything else. And you're like, oh, this is what he needs. Just needs to know it's going to be okay. And those words creep out of your mouth. And before you've even finished them, you're like, you need to apologize. Well, I'm not apologizing right now. You have a little talk with God. No, they deserve it right now. And then, and God won't let it rest, will he? Like a half hour later, you still need to go apologize. Well, that's what you think. And then like an hour later, you're over there crying. You're kneeling in front of your kids going, I'm so sorry. I am a complete idiot. I don't know why I said that. And God told me when I said it, I was supposed to apologize to you. Will you please forgive me? And they're like, it's okay, Dad. We thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) 
But God was speaking to me. God was telling me, it's like, look, that's not what you should do. That's not who you are. And when you have that, when the Holy Spirit's convicting you, you're okay. When that still small voice is speaking into your life, you're good. Listen to it. Bring the worship team back up. You see, really to close this out, you don't want to be a a bogus builder. You don't want to be a bogus builder. You don't want to build your house on sand. You want to build on the rock, the foundation, which is Christ. You don't want to practice lawlessness. At the end of the day, people are going to believe what you do over what you say. Amen? Isn't that true with most of us? You can talk a good story all day long, but people believe what you actually do. That, that becomes very real in most people's lives. And that's really what Jesus is saying. Look, if you do these things of mine, that really proves that you actually believe them. And so when you're talking to yourself, which we all do from time to time, you know, those conversations you have with the Lord and you're doing a little self-examination, be honest. Be honest with yourself. Is this praiseworthy? Is this noble? Is this kind? Is this the character of Christ or is this my flesh? Build on the rock. Have that assurance that comes from building on the rock. The storm can come, it's going to be okay. As Jesus closes this out, he basically is saying, look, these things are now known. I want you to live them. When Connie and I were living in Austria, there's a cemetery in, in Lübeck. And I remember seeing this headstone I actually Googled it. It's a whole bunch of really neat headstones in that cemetery, that cathedral. And it really reflects this passage. It was on a farmer's grave. It said, Thus speaketh the Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me the life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. We're supposed to live our lives godly in Christ Jesus. And Lord will help us do that. So if some of the pastors come forward, maybe there's something uh, in your life, you just need some prayer, maybe something that you've been struggling with. It's good to struggle. God expects us to recognize the difference between living in and struggling with. That's a work of the Spirit. You're fine. If there's a besetting sin, something that's in your life that just seems to kind of knock you back every once in a while, that too can be okay as long as you understand that it's an issue, it's a problem. Make sure that you care is the point. Make sure that you desire to live your life in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. The result... We're amazed. Those that stood there with Jesus that day heard what he said. They knew it was true. We know it's true. So let's live our lives in truth. Amen? Let's stand. Going to worship the Lord. If you need prayer, prayer team's going to be down front. Love to pray with you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for this night. We pray that you would bless now uh, each of us. God, we have our areas to where 
we need your touch in a special way. Pray that you would meet us, each one. Lord, help us to build on the rock, not on sand. God, help us to walk with you in all of our daily living. Lord, help us to be beyond reproach, shining brightly. We bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.